This is uh, case 51 from the Shiroku. Fayan's boat or land. The introduction. In mundane truth, how many people have been enlightened? In Buddhist truth, how many people have been deluded? If they suddenly become one, can you define delusion and enlightenment? The case. Fayan asked the monk Jiao, Did you come by boat or by land? Jiao replied, By boat. Fayan said, Where is the boat? Jiao said, The boat is in the river. Jiao then left. Fayan turned to a monk standing by and asked, did that monk who was just here have eyes or not? The verse. Water does not wash water. Gold isn't changed into gold. Find a horse without knowing its color. Enjoy the lute without the strings. Tie knots drawing trigrams when there are such things. Completely lost is the true, pure mind of the original person. So in one of the recent Teishos, I spoke about discovering the way back to our original state, or, or true self as it is often refer to so we can live a, a genuine and authentic life. So it's a journey, journey back to the origin. But it's unlike any other journey we embark on. It's typically when we decide to travel somewhere, there is a beginning point some idea of expected travel duration, mapped route, maybe planned stops along the way, and a destination, goal. A spiritual journey back to the original self. A lot more vague than that much less defined. And the parameters are also not very clear. How do we travel? How do we know that we are indeed traveling on the path? How do we know we're not fooling ourselves? As far as the beginning, you may say that the beginning of the journey is the time you showed up here to practice or wherever you are practicing. Or the time you decided to take on formal practice in a committed way. But is that the truth? 
were you not traveling before? Or what were you doing up to that point? What changes when we decide to commit to spiritual path? How do you function before? How do you function after that point? So that's one of the things we have to examine. And the other aspect is, what is the expected time travel? The time we will be traveling. Do we know how long it will take? Do we know where we're going? Do we know what to expect? Do we know the final destination? You know, saying I've arrived implies that you come from somewhere else and you're no longer there. Or saying I'm not there, I have not arrived, is implying that there is another place, another time, another you. To say I'm in the moment is also problematic. Since you suggest that you can be out of the moment. And maybe there's a magical gate through which you enter the moment. And if we believe that we are indeed moving from one place to another, or stepping from being out of the moment to being in the moment, then we have to deal with the question of what is left behind. If I'm going from here to there, or from there to here, what about the, the other stuff that I'm walking away from? What is being left out, rejected, denied? And if I've arrived from another place, where did that other place go to? In regards to being in the moment, does that mean that I have to discard off the previous moment in order to arrive at this moment? And then discard off this moment in order to arrive at the next one? This is not philosophizing. This is real. This is real as long as we are attached to this way of thinking. Or it's implied from the way we think. And then, of course, there's the issue of dualism, of cutting things up. Between moments in time, between locations, people, it gets, it gets messy. If you really truly examine that, you see how difficult it gets or how difficult we make it. There's a story about an old Zen master who once asked a seeker, where have you just come from? And the seeker replied, from the city. The master said, where are you now? 
And the guy said, the mountains. The master said, I have one question to ask you. If you can answer, you may stay. If not, then leave. Now then, when you left the city, the city was lacking you. When you came to the mountains, the mountains had you extra. If you are absent in the city, the reality of mind is not universally omnipresent. If you are an extra in the mountains, then there is something outside of mind. The seeker had nothing to say. And the commentary to that says, if you can comprehend this, as it is said, you will not fall into nihilism nor externalism. Your sixth sense faculties will be peaceful, and you will be tranquil and quiet, whether active or still. One mind, unborn, myriad entanglements cease. The myriad entanglements is chopping it up, going from one place to another, leaving something behind, longing for something that has not yet arrived. And it says, otherwise, if you're not like this, you fall into nihilism or externalism, depending on being or non-being. This is like running away from home. So the way we search for is keeping us away from what we search for. And it keeps coming up because it's real, because it's exactly what we do and we need to hear it over and over again. So it, every time we hear it, maybe it penetrates further. Further, further, like we do in chanting, liturgy. It sounds like we are repeating the same things over and over again, but we really are not. So hopefully we, we don't. We don't see it this way because every time we chant, it is meant to penetrate deeper and deeper and deeper. And it, and it does. It does, actually. But we have to become aware of it. So to change the way we chant, to change our attitude, rather than, oh, this again, be curious. How much further can I lose myself today? So our challenge is to not fall into any side. Not leaving, not arriving. Not exiting, not entering. And not being deluded or realized. So we practice, and the practice has an incredible power to soften the rigidity of our dualistic thinking. So we can recognize the endless dimension as it is known or referred to, the endless dimension of our natural domain. And then maybe subdue the urge to define ourselves by what we encounter along the journey, but not just spiritual journey, journey of life.
When did that start? We can go back to what we remember, but what about before we remember? Was there no journey? No motion? No flow? As I was writing it, I was thinking about an incident when I was young, but I think 13, 14 years old. I used to listen to rock music. And I hung out with a friend at his house, and we listened to music together, we talked about it, and his older brother came by and asked me about that, and I told him about music I like, and he, and he asked me, do you consider yourself to be a rocker, or whatever that was. And I thought about it, I looked at him and said, I don't know. And then later on, I, I was thinking about it, and maybe I am. Maybe I am that, maybe I am what I like. Maybe that's what I need to do, to be defined by that, to give the world a, a label by which it can refer to me, communicate with me. Because I didn't really think about that up to this point. Didn't seem to be an issue. Didn't seem to be something I needed to come up with. Not knowing was fine. Not knowing is fine. Until we start to mess with it. Until we start to ponder, is it? And other people say, well, who are you? What would you like to be when you grow up? I don't know. Do I have to know? Yeah, you have to know. And later on, I was traveling for a while and I ended up here, somehow, in the U.S. And we stayed with some friends of relatives and I remember a conversation with uh, the, the person, the woman there, she, I wasn't sure where I want to go, what I want to do, what direction I want to take, I was doing different things and, and she said, what would you like to do, what direction you want to go towards and what profession would you like to uh, take or home? And I wasn't sure I was debating between a couple of things, but then she looked at me, she said, would you like to, you want to be a loser? And she was actually very sure of herself that if you don't know, you're a loser. But what does that mean? What does it really mean beyond convention, beyond the way we think and separate and chop things up. To lose what? Maybe that's why we're so afraid of it. We're afraid of being losers. But we practice so we can become that. Losers. So we can turn towards what we are terrified of. And completely become that. Completely not know. 
not care, not mind who we are. To allow the blank to stay blank. Not to fill it with fill it up with labels, names, definitions, hats. And then later on at some point, as I was going deeper and deeper into practice. It became clear that what I was looking for is best left alone, left wide open. And when it is left wide open, it's home. I think that as long as we are not in touch with the fundamental the endless dimension we speak of feels like a hostile and foreign environment. And because, because of that, because of the discomfort we feel, we try to stuff it with names, ideas, definitions, because it is so uncomfortable at that point. And then, of course, it falls apart, all falls apart. And when it does fall apart, we're left with a deep yearning a deep yearning that never gets satisfied fully. So the journey, this journey we're on is asking us to challenge the very core of what we have come to trust in and to turn towards that. And when we turn towards that, we have to take all our comforting beliefs and turn them upside down. Mess with them. And also mess with what other people expect of us. Be family, society, our own thoughts. Mess with that too. Ask, is that the way? Does that really work? The fact that most people think this way doesn't make it true. It just means that most people think this way. That's all. It's not more than that. So we need to walk away from what seems stable and solid towards what feels like shaky grounds. And it is uncomfortable and actually terrifying at times. Which is why most people do not turn to the Dharma. But as long as we are not raising the intention to face false assumptions, and choose to stay within the unexamined comfort zone, I think we can safely say that we are not traveling on the path of Zen. We're still traveling, but it's more like walking around in circles and expecting to see a different view, expecting to deepen. So how do we travel? And Fayan 
lived around the 10th century in China, was the founder of uh, one of the five schools of Zen, the Faiyan school, which actually uh, ended up being absorbed to Rinzai. So all we have today is Soto and Rinzai. You may remember the first encounter between Faiyan and his teacher, Dijang. While traveling to study the Dharma with different teachers, Faiyan and two other monks were on a pilgrimage. And then one day they got caught up in a snowstorm and had to spend a few days at Dijang's monastery. And when they arrived, Dijang asked Faiyan, where are you going? And Faiyan replied, on an ongoing pilgrimage. And Dijang said, why do you go on a pilgrimage? Faiyan said, I don't know. Dijang said, not knowing is most intimate or nearest. And it is said that with this answer, Fayan had a realization experience. Now, why did Fayan answer this way? He didn't say, I am on a pilgrimage to look for, what, for the answers of, to what I don't know. He actually said, I don't know why I'm traveling. Very different. I don't know why I'm traveling yet. Yet, it does not preclude me from traveling. Think about it. You know, when you look for something, you travel to look for something, what does your attention go? towards what you think you will find or towards the idea of what you think you will find. Which means the attention is not on the path. Which means you're not there. But to travel without knowing why keeps it open. So he experienced great realization because it was the right time, because he kept it open, because he emptied out while traveling. He was fine with not knowing. So this question for us is, why are we practicing? What are we looking for? What do we expect to find, discover, experience? Or what do we expect to see along the way? And we do, we have that. The question is, can we put that aside? Can we put that aside while we travel, while we practice, while we sit, while we go to a Zazenkai, Sashim, while we chant together, while we bow? At that time, at those times, can we leave everything aside? All the questions. And be verified by the bow by the chant.
can we commit to a path with this way of thinking or being? Because conventionally, people commit to a path or an activity, an endeavor, based on what they believe they will get out of it, or a goal they believe they will arrive at, or it will lead them to. But in the case of studying the Dharma, we very quickly realize that this approach creates roadblocks on the way and actually impedes the journey. It doesn't help. It's the same with Aikido, actually. You know, we practice on the mat. We practice to, to let go, not to create more burden. But we come in with a burden. So we have to look at that. We have to look at how do I step on the mat? Am I stepping on the mat open, wide, free? Am I able to live in the changing room, to live everything I expect to find, everything I expect to become while practicing, while training? Because that's what will make the difference. Not so much what technique we are working on or who you practice with, which partner you have for, for the practice that day. That doesn't matter so much, as long as we can keep it open, as long as we can be curious about, let's see what happens. How do we study? Bodhidharma said, if you use your mind to study reality, you won't understand either your mind or reality. If you study reality without using your mind, you'll understand both. So leave your mind in the changing room. Those who don't understand, don't understand understanding. And those who understand, understand not understanding. People capable of true vision know that the mind is empty. They transcend both understanding and not understanding. The absence of both understanding and not understanding is true understanding. Of course, you know what he's saying sounds complicated or maybe philosophical, but in reality, it is neither. It only seems this way because we listen through conventional hearing. And then we dissect it, what we dissect what we hear through the intellect. Try to fit it in, and it sounds like philosophy, it must be philosophy. It sounds complicated, it must be complicated. But the process of reasoning cannot fathom what is beyond reasoning, what is pre-logic, as Suzuki used to call it, D.T. Suzuki, pre-logic, Zen, that is. It does not negate logic, it's just that it is what logic rests on, 
without which there will be no logic. And the intellect cannot lead us beyond the sphere of the intellect. Which means logic cannot get us outside of logic. is the realm most of us, most people reside for a lifetime. So we can learn a lot from Fayan's, the way Fayan's traveling, not knowing, and try to bring it to our practice, to show up without expectations. And also from Dijang's response, not knowing is nearest or most intimate. When it is not covered up with the known facts, expectations, attachments, concepts, labels, definitions, there is nothing that is not most intimate. Everything is revealed as most intimate instantly and of course then it gets covered up again and that's the process over and over and over again when Fan later on was an abbot of a monastery he once said to his disciples reality is right before you and yet you're apt to translate it into a world of names and forms how are you going to retranslate it into the original very well put, very clear. And this is what we have to do. This is what we signed up to do when we decided to get on the path and train. With the journey of unlearning our habitual ways of being, how we became entangled, how we entangle ourselves. Maybe how we became is not so important, how we entangle ourselves right now. So we can be fine with just being humble, simple, unassuming. It's not much more than our, more, the most basic aspects of our existence. But then we ask, isn't that what everybody else is doing? What's the difference? Everybody is eating, sleeping, walking around. Good question. This journey is a journey from the known to the unknown, then back to the known. As it is said, before entering the practice, mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. After stepping onto the path and deepening the, the practice, mountains are no longer mountains. I don't know what that is. Rivers are no longer rivers. The assumptions are examined. Is it a mountain? Am I what I thought I am? Are you what I think you are? I don't know. 
to travel without knowing. It's the only way to practice. And then after realization, mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. Reminds me, uh, years ago, we had a practitioner who was no longer with us, but he asked me, he was a Aikido student as well, he asked me one day he was sweeping the mat, and how can I sweep the mat in a Zen way, right? In, in a wholehearted way. And I just said, sweep the mat. But he didn't get it. He was trying to do something else. He was trying to look for more than sweeping the mat. When he couldn't find it. I don't know if this is why he left, but... But the mat is clean, so somebody is sweeping it. (laughs) But sweeping the mat is not what the mind makes it to be. You know, in all things, animate and inanimate, the fundamental is never lacking or hidden. But our way of thinking makes it seem this way. It seems like I have to look for something beyond that. I have to do it differently, the Zen way. And then, of course, we act as if it's missing. It is simple, but we don't see it, so it becomes complicated. Then we go back to the simple, and then the simple is absolutely fine. <clears throat> this Quran, Elder Zhao came to meet with Fayan, and Fayan asked him, Did you come by boat or by land? And the footnote says, It very much seems like there are two kinds. It seems like there's a way to sweep the mat and there's another way to sweep the mat. Very much seems like that. There is delusion and there is enlightenment. Jar replied, by boat. And the footnote says, he speaks deeply on the mark of reality and skillfully explains the essence of the teachings. Well, it's not what we expect. It's not what we expect when, you, when we come to study the Dharma. And we're offered a cup of tea. It's like, okay, where is the Dharma? What am I taught? I don't want a cup of tea, I'm good. Then sweep the mat. For what? It's clean. Okay, then what do you want? What do we want? He speaks clearly on the mark of reality and skillfully explains the essence of the teachings by saying, I have arrived by boat. Why, is that because he crossed the river of samsara with the boat? He came from the other bank?
Don't complicate. Payan said, where's the boat? The footnote says, perhaps he isn't telling the truth. Is it? Is that, is this Fayan's meaning by asking, where's the boat? The Jiao said, the boat is in the river. And the footnote says, after all, he still has a landing place. It's beautiful dialogue. It's incredible. Encompasses everything we want to understand. And after all, he still has a landing place, of course. Praises Elder Jao for not complicating, for not getting stuck, for supporting the Dharma. Clearly. It's not what we think it is. Now, I remember a period in my training when I thought that the words in Zen literature and the actions of some of those masters were pointing beyond what is seen or heard. And I was trying very hard to look at what is it pointing at. And at some point, at some point, it started to become clear that the so-called beyond is actually manifesting itself through the words and actions, through what we read about, what we hear. They weren't trying to do anything. They were just in complete alignment. And all was fine. going from the known to the unknown, back to the known. Mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. This is why Yunmen said at the first, you remember that, the first time he gave a talk, monastery. He looked at all the people that were there and he said, I don't know what you all came here for. What do you want to learn? I just know how to eat and shit. What more do you want? What more do we want? There's a funny story about an encounter between uh, Seng Shan, Sun, sorry, a famous Korean Zen master, and Kalu Rinpoche, prominent teacher in Tibetan Buddhism. The representative of the two traditions, uh, they both represent different traditions, and each of them were going to demonstrate their understanding of the Dharma and investigate the others. So at one point, Seng Sun, famous for hurling questions at his students to bring him to realization of not knowing, at some point he reached into his robe and drew up an orange. He held the orange in front of Kalu Rinpoche and demanded, What is this? What is this? Kalu Rinpoche paused and then through his interpreter, asked the host, what's the matter with this guy? Don't they have oranges in Korea? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's the matter with this guy? 
What's the matter with us, actually, is the question. I mean, it's a... Yeah, it's an orange. But how do we know? How do we know if an orange is just an orange? That's the question. How do we know? You know, things are not what they seem, nor are they otherwise. The biography of Fayan tells a story about a Zen monk who lived alone in a cottage. Above the door, he wrote the word mind. Above his window, he wrote the word mind. And on his wall, he wrote the word mind. And Fayan said, above the door, he should have written door. Above the window, he should have written window. And on his wall, he should have written wall. But it's not enough, is it? Everybody else is doing that. Yeah? Is everybody doing that? So after Jao left, Fayan asked the attending monk, did this guy here, this guy was just here, did he have eyes or not? Now the commentary, the verse and the footnote praise Jao's level of understanding, portraying him as an equal to Fayan. But how do they, what do they, what do they base it on? It's just a dialogue. It's just asking, how did you arrive? By boat. Where's the boat? And the river. How do they discern? How do we discern whether or not he has eyes? What is it based on? In contrast to this dialogue, there's a koan, which you remember, that brings up a dialogue between Tozan and Umon. Tozan came to Umon for instruction. Umon asked, where have you come from? Tozan said, from Sado. Umon said, where were you during the summer retreat? Tozan said, at Hozu Monastery, south of the lake. Umon said, where, when did you leave there? Tozan said, on the 25th of August. Umon said, I spare you 60 blows which means you're not even worthy of my staff. What's the difference? What's the difference between Tozan being honest, truthful, and Elder Jah? How do we discern? What are the parameters? The verse says, water does not wash water. Spotlessly pure, says the footnote. Gold isn't changed into gold. And it says, forge it into one lump. These lines versify the equal understanding of Faya and Jah. The words of one does not, or the, the level of understanding of one does not purify the other. They both are pure water, pure gold, 
they do not change each other. They do not change the essence. Find a horse without knowing its color. When the footnote says it cannot be found by appearance. Now this is based on a story about King Roku, the Qin dynasty, who ordered a horse master to go find him an outstanding horse. The guy went to look for one and came back with a plain-looking horse. The king saw that and was disappointed and asked, why did you get me such a plain horse? The horse master said, getting the essential, forget the gross. Seeing the inside, forget the outside. And this is warning us to not get caught up in appearances. to look directly at the essence, directly at the essence, and to function from the essence. But it's not the horse I was expecting. Plain water has flavor. There is a saying in that, that who, who asks you to put salt and vinegar? Who asks you to put salt and vinegar and then say it's salty and sour? The next line says, enjoy the loot without the strings. And the footnote says it cannot be sought by sound. So the footnote before that says it cannot be found by appearances. It cannot be sought by sound. And this is from a story about a guy named Tao Yuan Ming who enjoyed music and loved playing the lute. But it is said that his lute had no strings on it. So when he was asked about it, he answered, if you get the essence in the lute, why bother with the sound in the strings? The music always sounds beautiful whether or not we hear it in a conventional way. Because the music is not about the instrument. The instrument conveys what has always been there in the same way that each and every one of us does. And each and everything can we enjoy the music without the strings, without the sound. Time knots drawing trigrams. And the footnote says, when laws are issued, crime is born. Dao De Ching. When laws are issued, crime is born. Completely lost is the true, pure mind of the original person. Now back in ancient times, the knots, ancient times, the people did not use signatures and contracts for agreement. So 
Instead, they tied knots on a rope to symbolize the agreement. And both parties were clear about that. Later on, letters and signatures were introduced, and with that, he said, complications arose. Now, Fayan's question, did the monk have eyes or not, is creating complications. The dialogue is perfectly fine. Both are expressing original nature, true self, fundamental, eternal. Yet, he's asking us a question. He's asking the monk next to him a question. And it's creating complications because we are already pure and perfect. So why raise the question? You know, this is like the saints, gouging a wound in healthy flesh or raising waves when there is no wind. So we're already perfectly endowed with true pure mind of the original person. But if we don't raise waves, if we don't gouge a wound in healthy flesh, we will not trust it to be so. We will not operate from that. And will not embody to a point of being truly authentic. So we have to mess with, create complications. But what does it mean to be authentic? How do you know when you turn away from the original and put a head on a head? How do you know? It must come down to you, to your life, the way you function. <clears throat> I'd like to finish with a poem, an offering. Cradled by life, roaming the abundant, seeping the eternal, treading endless oceans, asking for directions, pondering reflections, entangled by how, where, when, and who. Did you forget how I carried you through a thousand seasons? Do you remember how we kept dancing together through endless nights? At what point did we part ways? Or did we? When the bright light blinds the eyes and the cold wind penetrates the bones, we meet again, as before, as always.